I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. On this episode of Newt's World, the discussion about whether the District of Columbia, or Washington, D.C., as it's better known, should become the 51st state in the United States has been ongoing for years. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, who has been representing the District of Columbia for 30 years in Congress, has been the leading champion of the bill, H.R. 51, known as the Washington, D.C. Admission Act. It was passed by the United States House of Representatives yesterday in a vote straight down party lines, with no Democrats voting no and no Republicans voting yes. The bill now moves to the Senate. However, the way our founders wrote the Constitution, they had the express intent to never allow Washington, D.C. to become a state. On April 13th, Attorney General Wilson and 21 Attorneys General sent a letter to President Biden and the leaders of Congress opposing the bill to make the District of Columbia a state. The letter from the Attorneys General first and foremost is an effort to uphold the U.S. Constitution. I'm pleased to welcome my good friend and our guest, Alan Wilson, South Carolina's Attorney General. First, I thought I would tell our listeners I do not agree with the District of Columbia becoming a state, and my reasons are grounded in the way our founders wrote the Constitution. But I'm a historian, not a lawyer. So I wanted to have Attorney General Alan Wilson on to really explain the issue and why H.R. 51 should be defeated. He's done a tremendous amount of research looking at the issue from both a legal and political perspective. Alan, welcome. I'm curious, just to start, how did you bring the other 21 attorney generals together around this issue of opposing D.C. statehood? 
Well, Mr. Speaker, first, thank you for having me on the podcast today. It's an honor to always be with you and to discuss important issues like this. First, I was watching the news one night about some of the bills coming down the pipeline that a lot of VAGs were engaged in. And one of the bills that came up was a bill called the Washington, D.C. Statehood Bill. And so I found it interesting. I went and pulled up the bill and I read it. I did one thing that a lot of members of Congress probably don't do when they vote on bills, but I read the thing. And it was clear to me, it was evident on the face of the bill that this is an unconstitutional act by Congress. And I always want to say, first and foremost, I disagree fundamentally with this bill to make Washington, D.C. the 51st state on constitutional grounds long before you get to policy or political grounds. We know this is a naked, ambitious grab of power by the left to pack the Senate like they're trying to do with the court. But I don't even have to get to that. My concern is that this is unconstitutional first and foremost before it's even get to the bad policy question. And so I felt like the states needed to speak up on this because of the unconstitutionality of the act and that we needed to let Congress know that if they blow up the filibuster and ram this through, that we're going to be there to sue. I sent the letter to President Biden and leaders of Congress, had 21 colleagues sign the letter to let them know that if you pass this, we will sue you in the Supreme Court. And here's why we will be successful. I think that the whole concept of this letter was really very important because at the time, I think the left just felt they were on a roll. They'd won the presidential election and their activist wing was really pushing this. But one of the things I'm fascinated by here, you really go to the heart of the whole issue and the nature of why the founding fathers felt the way they did. Can you sort of walk us through why the founding fathers were so determined and what they had experienced that led them to want to have the District of Columbia remain independent from any state? Well, absolutely. And you're a student of history and you know firsthand and anyone that's ever read about the founding of our nation knows that the founders were deeply affected by the events of their day and and it directed their views on how our republic should be set up. And, you know, there were a number of things that occurred early on in the revolution and toward the end of the revolution that affected their decision to create an independent district as the seat of government for our nation. They wanted a republic built on the foundation of federalism, that they wanted the states to be independent from the federal government and they wanted the federal government to be independent from the states. And they needed a federal district to be the bridge between the two. And they didn't want to create a super state. And they didn't want to create a territory. They didn't want to occupy an already established city. They wanted to create a new and independent seat of government. One of the main reasons is if you go back and you study the end of the Revolutionary War, there were a lot of disgruntled, disaffected members of the militia who were upset that they weren't getting paid. And so they marched on Philadelphia to demand that the Continental Congress pay them. The Continental Congress called on the state of Pennsylvania to protect them and the state of Pennsylvania refused to protect them and therefore they had to flee the building before that little uprising could be quelled. So that was an example of something James Madison referred to when he was writing in the Federalist 43 and and then other founding forefathers talked about. They wanted a federal seat of power that could not be under the control of a general assembly from one of the states. They wanted something that they could completely control. When they met, one of the first things they did was is they set up a federal seat of power. And it was basically, most people talk about Article 4, Section 3 when it comes to the creation of new states. 
the authority for the creation of the District of Columbia, the federal seat of power, is actually Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. And it basically gave Congress to create a seat of government which shall become the federal district and that Congress shall have the authority to have exclusive legislation over whatever district shall become. Congress can no more abdicate its authority to give up its power to tax and it can give up its authority to legislate over the district. If they want to do that, they will have to do so through a constitutional amendment. They can't do it through statutory effect. They have to pass a constitutional amendment. And so the founders wanted it that way because they didn't want Congress to screw around with the operation of the District of Columbia. Once it was created, they wanted to remain the federal district and that Congress could be able to legislate over it, but Congress could not change the makeup of the district once it was created. So the whole system that was being evolved was a deliberate effort to block any single state from having dominance over the federal government. Absolutely. They did not want to have a super state. They debated this. You know, obviously, New York, Philadelphia, there were other cities that were basically powerhouse cities back in that day. They didn't want to put the, the federal district on top of one of those. That would be the capital city of another state. They wanted to have an independent seat of power for the United States. I'm sure you're familiar with this alleged dinner that Thomas Jefferson had between Alexander Hamilton and James Madison. Obviously, Jefferson and Madison were from Virginia. Hamilton came from the North, and there was a concern about the North had a lot of debt, and the Southern states from the Revolution did not have a lot of debt, and the South did not want the federal government assuming the debt. Exchange for assumption of the debt, the South cut a deal with Alexander Hamilton. We'll assume the debt, but you have to move the capital city to the shores of the Potomac between Maryland and then Virginia, and that was the deal that they cut in exchange for assuming the debt of the North. So that deal was struck and the founders gave some parameters. If you read the Constitution, they said the, the only restriction was that it shall not exceed 10 miles square at that time. They said the states of Virginia and Maryland have to basically agree to it, which they did. And that's how the federal district was created. And of course, we can talk about the full history of the district. But the bottom line is Congress cannot abdicate its authority to give away the district and make it a state because that is not allowed in the Constitution. They would have to do it through a constitutional amendment. And Mr. Speaker, you already know this, but the 23rd Amendment, which was passed in 1961, it basically gives the residents of the District of Columbia the ability to vote for electors to the Electoral College. The Congress at the time knew that they could not pass a federal law giving Washington, D.C. electors the Electoral College because Washington, D.C. is distinct from a state or a territory. It is very different. And so they knew that they had to do this through a constitutional amendment. They had to give the electors to Washington, D.C. through an amendment to the Constitution. That underscores the point I'm making, that they can't create a 51st state. They can't truncate the district down to the National Mall without a constitutional amendment. If they could, then why do they need the 23rd Amendment to give them electors to electoral college. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I noticed that when they tried in 1993, the new Columbia Admission Act got beat pretty badly in the House, 153 to 277. I'm not sure that that majority is still there. In your judgment, why did it fail so badly in 93? And what do you suspect the vote is now? Well, if you love history, there was a report that was given by the attorney generals when Edwin Meese was then attorney general under the Reagan administration. I think it was 1986. And there was a 60, 70 page report given. And I've read this report. I've read a number of other reports. But if you go back, the report under the Meese administration in the Justice Department goes into great detail in the history of D.C. And what's interesting is back in the day, the Carter administration and going back to the Kennedy administration, even Robert Kennedy, when he was attorney general, all agreed it was a bipartisan belief outside of the partisans in the District of Columbia. They all believed it would basically thwart the intent of the founders to create a 51st state or to do anything that would create or make Washington, D.C. anything other than the federal seat of power. They were against this. So there was a lot of bipartisan unanimity in that belief system. But in the last couple of years, when the amendment to the Constitution to give residents of D.C. a right to vote in federal elections, like, say, in Maryland, there was this push to go the D.C. direction. One thing that I've noticed, 
is that in the last five to 10 years, there's been a hard push to go to the left by the Democratic Party, by the leaders. Not all Democrats are like this, but at the national level, you know, when you look at the defund the police and the amnesty for all illegals and the, the funding of illegals through health care and welfare and all the other programs, they're going so hard to the left. The idea that they're talking about packing four members to the Supreme Court, which they refer to as unpacking the court, this radical jerk to the left has caused them to lose sight of their senses. And now they are making an argument that even Edward Kennedy once thought was foolish, that creating a 51st state out of Washington, D.C. was wrong. And so that is something that up until a decade ago was pretty universal. Now, as to where Congress is, I imagine that as long as the filibuster remains in place in the Senate, I think this bill will fail. But if they blow the filibuster up, you're going to possibly see, you know, H.R. 1, which federalizes all state elections. You're going to see the packing of the Supreme Court. You're going to see the packing of the U.S. Senate and the Congress by the creation of the 51st state. You're going to see a lot of radical ideas come. But as long as that filibuster is in place, I feel confident that this won't pass. But the reason I sent the letter with 22 states on it was that I wanted to signal to certain senators in the U.S. Senate and members of Congress that if you pass this, you will be on the losing side of history because we will sue in the Supreme Court. And I truly believe the court will side with us. Well, that's where I thought the letter that you sent on April 13th, having that many signatures from eminent lawyers in the states who are attorneys general, you really had laid down here a very high hurdle for them to imagine that they can get over it. And I thought it was a very well done letter. What sort of reaction, if any, have you gotten so far? Well, you know, in my home state of South Carolina, I mean, I've received nothing but positive feedback from everyone that I've spoken to. And I mean, most of my friends who are on the left side of the aisle or in the Democratic Party really aren't focused on this at the state level. I did have a brief conversation with the D.C. Attorney General the other day, and he obviously disagreed with my position and told me so, which he has a right to do very polite in his disagreement, but everywhere I go, people are 100% agreement about our position. I do want to point out one thing that I think will be thrown in our faces, but I think it's easy to basically dispel. And that is, if you recall, when Washington, D.C. was created on the shores of the Potomac, about 70% of the district fell into Maryland and the remaining 30% fell into Virginia. In 1846, that portion of the District of Columbia that was in Virginia was retroceded back to the Commonwealth of Virginia. And we even put a footnote in our letter for those who've read the letter that acknowledges that that occurred, but that was never challenged. That constitutional issue was never raised. The court never weighed in on it. And we don't think that's a legal precedent. They'll claim it is, but it is not a legal precedent because it was never challenged at that time. And that is why Washington DC looks the way it does today. And here's another thing, Mr. Speaker, I would say, I would still disagree with Washington, D.C. being converted into a 51st state. But let's say the Democrats in the House and Senate said, hey, listen, why don't we pass a constitutional amendment that retrocedes Maryland's portion of the District of Columbia back to Maryland and then allow everyone that is currently a resident of Washington, D.C. now to be a voter in the state of Maryland? and then just have the congressional representation that they currently have in Maryland. I said, why aren't they doing that? Because that doesn't give them two extra seats in the U.S. Senate and an extra seat in the House. They could do that through constitutional amendment. I would have no legal argument against them doing it that way. I would have a, a policy argument because I think it's wrong, 
but they don't want to do that because they are motivated purely out of a sense of packing Congress with permanent members of their party. So that is the reason they're doing this. People can claim I'm doing it for political reasons, but I can at least point to the Constitution and the intent of the founders on my argument. They can't point to that. And so I like to always underscore that point. So the challenge they've got, it seems to me, is that there's nothing in the historic record going all the way back to 1787, 1788, that would suggest that creating a state out of the national capital was in any way seen positively by any of the founding fathers or by any of the generations since then? There were discussions. I mean, people talked about the residents of the District of Columbia having a right to vote, representation in Congress. There were discussions and there was a debate at that time. There was an internal debate about how Washington, D.C. should govern itself as a territory or should the president select the mayor. I think it was in 1973 that they implemented home rule and gave its own home governance with a mayor and a city council, et cetera. But from the 1870s to the 1970s, there was really no major push to change how Washington, D.C. was run, with the exception of the 23rd Amendment that gave it three electoral votes in the Electoral College, which was passed in 1961. By the way, if I may, this is a somewhat of a, an absurdity They do want to eliminate the 23rd Amendment if they're given statehood status. But I do want to say something I thought was kind of clever. In the bill, it doesn't seek to convert all of Washington, D.C. into a state. What they want to do is they want to truncate all of the parts of Washington, D.C., all the way down to the National Mall, the gardens, the National Museums, the Capitol complex with those federal buildings, the Supreme Court, and then the White House complex and the old executive office building. They just want that, the gardens and museums and the federal buildings to be the U.S. Capitol and everything around it being the Washington Douglas Commonwealth, which would be the new state. If you look at the map, what that would look like, it basically creates a donut hole where the U.S. Capitol would be a complete enclave within the new Washington Douglas Commonwealth state. And so it would be completely encircled. But what's interesting about that, Mr. Speaker, is I can't imagine any other residents living in that enclave other than the first family. You might have another family or two or three somehow that live within that enclave. I can't imagine there'd be residents on the National Mall, but there's certainly residents at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I mean, I'm not saying it would happen, but theoretically speaking, the first family could register to vote at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and under the 23rd Amendment be able to vote for their own three electors to the Electoral College. Over the years, I've always said that I would have been happy to have returned for voting purposes the residents of Washington to Maryland. It would just mean the two liberal Democrats from the Maryland Senate would have more votes. I've never had anybody in Maryland who was excited by the opportunity to have all of the residents of D.C. vote in Maryland. The Democrats from Maryland will tell you how much they're for D.C. statehood, but they don't particularly want to have D.C. brotherhood in terms of allowing them to vote in Maryland. And I think it's just the nature of the business. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Well, listen, I gather that if it did for some reason pass the House and Senate, you all would be prepared to file suit almost immediately. Absolutely. We are prepared to file suit. And I suspect that more than the 22 signatures on that letter would join us. I think other states would actually join in an actual suit. I've talked to other officials in other states, and I think you would see possibly a majority of the states somehow in some form represented either through governors or appointed AGs who couldn't assign the letter because of the internal processes of their respective states. But I do want to address one other argument. There's this view that there are people in Washington, D.C. who have taxation without representation. In other words, they are taxed by Congress, but they don't have representatives in Congress. They have Miss Holmes, who is their delegate that doesn't have voting privileges. First off, it is a privilege to live in the U.S. Capitol. But you don't have the right to have voting representation in Congress because you're a U.S. citizen. You have a right to have a voting member of Congress because you're a citizen of a state. Okay, that is very clear in the U.S. Constitution. There are people going back 100 years, 150 years, 180 years who left states and migrated to territories to carve out a new existence. And they gave up the right to have voting representation in Congress. There are people sitting in prison who don't get to vote in elections. They get those rights maybe reinstated, just like the people who leave a state to go to a territory might get that right reinstated once that territory became a state. But having a voting member in Congress is not a universal right. You have all the rights in the Constitution. The civil liberties, the freedoms and protections we have in the Bill of Rights are all there for all of us. But it's only those people who are members of states. And to those residents of D.C., you can move to a state. You don't have to be there. Your ancestors may have chosen to raise you there and bring you up there. But again, you also have the privilege of living in the U.S. Capitol with all of the things that go with that and all of the support that Congress has to provide. 
So I don't feel like people are not represented in Congress. And I also feel like they're not trapped there. They can vote with their feet and go to another state where they will have voting privileges in Congress. So, I mean, you're offering, in a sense, a genuinely federalist view of how the system works as opposed to a centralized nationalist view. Absolutely. Federalism requires that you have 50 independent states. Obviously, you have territories, and then you have the federal government, which is seated in Washington, D.C. But there has to be something distinct and unique from a state and a territory and the federal government. You have to have a federal district. The founders did not want the capital to be nothing but a bunch of gardens and museums and a a couple of beautifully ornate federal buildings. They wanted a district. When the leaders of other nations came and when people would come to the United States Capitol, they weren't coming to a couple of museums and a couple of buildings. They were coming to a federal district, a capital city. And what this bill seeks to do is to wipe that away, relegate Washington, D.C., nothing more than basically like a Vatican City, kind of like this capital on a grassy knoll with a couple of federal buildings and gardens. And that thwarts what the founders created and what they intended for it to be. Washington, D.C. needs to remain the federal seat of power. It needs to remain a district. And we believe that's what the Constitution called for. Congress cannot simply wipe that away through legislative fiat. They have to do it through a constitutional amendment. If they want to attempt to do that, I will switch my argument from a legal one to a policy one. And we'll argue against it on policy grounds. But right now, they don't have the authority to do that under our Constitution. Good. That's great. Listen, we are going to, for our listeners, because this is a very impressive letter, We are going to post it on our show page so that people can see it. I also want to remind all of our listeners that they can call their representatives in Congress and let them know that they oppose D.C. state could H.R. 51. And they can call the U.S. Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121. Let me just repeat that. 202 224-3121, and the switchboard operator will connect you directly to the House or Senate office you request. So I think that what you've done, Alan, is create a great template for people to study the letter, get on the phone, and communicate directly with their members of the House and Senate. And I really, really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's always a privilege to talk with you, and I hope I get to see you again soon. Thank you to my guest, Alan Wilson, the Attorney General for South Carolina. You can read more about why Washington, D.C. should not become a state on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago street course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.